0: The story is told of a man who was convinced he was dead. He was sure he was dead. He aggravated his family to death, trying to convince them that he was dead. And they had tried every argument, everything they could think of to convince this man that he was not dead. So they decide they can't help him. They take him to a psychiatrist. And he's there in the doctor and the doctor is, is giving him all these arguments and nothing is working to convince the man that he's not dead. And so finally, he takes him through um, a little bit of anatomy and explains to him that, that dead people don't bleed. And he gets him to agree. Yes, it makes sense. Dead people don't bleed. And so at that point, the doctor takes a pen out, pokes his finger, blood comes out. Looks at the man, and the man says, What do you know? Dead people do bleed after all. (laughs) He was unwilling to believe that he was alive. He was unwilling to embrace what was actually the truth. He had a presupposition driving his, his interpretation of the evidence. The evidence was plain. He's alive. He's breathing. He's talking. He's moving. He's bleeding. But since he was unwilling to embrace the truth, he shaped that evidence to support the lie that he had embraced. That's what we all do. Scripture talks about people who don't know Jesus as being dead in trespasses and sins. See, we're born into this world with the opposite problem of this man. We're born into this world convinced we're alive when we're really dead spiritually dead, unresponsive to God, unwilling to come to Christ, loving sin, maybe dressing it up in religion, maybe dressing it up in immorality, but loving sin and not loving God. So we've seen as we work through Acts that that Jesus has been resurrected. He spent 40 days with His apostles, more training, more teaching. He's promised them they will have power to witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, which has happened in Acts 2. Right, And then when the first sermon happened in Acts 3, or the second sermon happened, the first one is in Acts 2, when 3,000 were converted. Then this lame beggar is healed and more thousands are converted. So as the gospel is preached, Peter is preaching the gospel, he's calling the people to repentance. He's telling them they crucified the Lord of glory and that he's risen from the dead and offers forgiveness to them through faith. And more have embraced the knowledge. Of Jesus Christ. And now you see the authorities coming down on them. And this is the first trial of the apostles. And we'll see two things as I've said as we look through this text. The things that stuck out to me were amazing boldness. And faithful witness on the side of the apostles. And amazing deadness on the side of the authorities. Amazing resistance to the truth. Deadness in sin exemplified in them. But if you look, uh, so what we see really, and the way I want to focus on what you want, I want you to take away is listen to me. This will help you as you witness to people. Lack of proof is not the problem. People tell you that don't know Jesus, they need more truth. Don't believe them. They don't need more truth. What they need is a new heart, which comes through the gospel, not your arguments. I'm not saying don't give reasoned answers to people. But they're dead in trespasses and sins. They're seeking to justify their life. What they need is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that's what you see the apostles giving to even the authorities in this text. And that's what you see the authorities resisting. Lack of proof is not the reason people reject the gospel. It's a heart issue, not an intellectual issue. But look first at the apostles examined. They've arrested them. They put them in jail because Sanhedrin doesn't meet until the morning and it's evening. So they sit in jail. And then you see the gathering come together in verse 5 on the next day. Their rulers and elders and scribes together came together with Annas, the high priest. And Caiaphas is the ruling high priest at this time. But it seems like the high priests are like presidents. Once they're a president, you always call them Mr. President. Once they're a high priest, you always... All of am a high priest. And the high priestly family is there. Um, Annas has been a high priest, but Caiaphas is the high priest who's reigning through the ministry of Jesus and His crucifixion resurrection and this time of the apostles. John that's mentioned there will be high priest next. So this is the high priestly family. And so they've gathered, the Sanhedrin has gathered, the, think of it this way, the Jewish Supreme Court. It's come into session and they've brought the apostles before them so that they can give an answer why they are preaching this Jesus that they thought they've already dealt with and they're seeing that's not the truth but they bring them before them and they set them in their midst and this was listen don't minimize this this is an intimidating situation this this is could potentially lead to their death like Christ But they have the Holy Spirit. They have the boldness to witness as they're being examined here. And these men are going to be astonished at their response. But it says this, that uh, when they had set them in their midst, verse 7, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And it seems to me they already know the answer to this because that's why they're angry and that's why they've arrested them. But they want to see if they have the guts to say it now. Maybe they'll back down now. Maybe they won't follow through. Maybe we can intimidate them into silence. Well, no, not, not true. But it says they inquired of them what name and what power. look now look at this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he has that power that Jesus promised, said to them. and he greets them, he, he greets them in a cordial way. He, sa- he said to them, Rulers of the people, rulers of the people, and elders." If we are being examined today concerning, not a sin, but a good deed. If we're being examined concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what man means this man has been healed. A good deed done to a crippled man. They're in trouble because God has used them to heal a man born lame. They're not necessarily in trouble for that, but they're in trouble for what name they're presenting as they do this. They're not keeping the, the tradition of the elders and the commands of the Sanhedrin who have you know thought they'd stamped out Jesus and want this gospel thing to go away. And Peter dresses them respectfully and sort of puts the charge before them. We're charged with doing a good deed to a crippled man. And then you can almost see his... His back straighten up. He's like, Let it be known to you, all of you, and to all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. When they hear that, when the leaders hear that, their hair goes up on the back of their neck and they're like, uh. They don't like it. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the gospel. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let it be known to all of you and the people of Israel. It's by His name. Now look, He doesn't just tell them how, what power and what name. He does exactly the same thing that He did in chapter 3 when He was talking to the people. At first He confronts sin before He... See, faithful witness... He didn't have to say this. He didn't have to point out their sin in crucifying Jesus. He could have simply just said he was healed in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. But look at what he does. Boldness. He says this, whom you crucify. It wasn't literally them. They had to work through the Romans, but in the Hebrew mind, if you're responsible for it, you're named, right? Like David killed Uriah. He wasn't the one who actually did the killing, but it was his responsibility. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And here's the one part they don't like. I mean, they know they had Him crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. Jesus whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. What, what, is, what is the Gospel summarized in, in 1 Corinthians 15? Nutshell. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And that salvation is through faith in Him. He's calling these men to repentance. He's calling them, giving them an opportunity. Here's another opportunity for these leaders to come back to the truth and to realize that Jesus is their Messiah. To repent of their sins. And had they, by God's grace, done that, they would have been forgiven. Because God would have been at work in them even producing that. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him. In other words, He's the one who has done this through us. He is risen and this proves it. You are wrong. You need to repent. This Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. And get the picture, not just the apostles are there, but the man who was healed is standing there. Notice the word standing. He's not lying there. He's not sitting there. He's not in a wheelchair. He was lame from birth and now fully strong, standing, probably smiling, maybe even a little cheer. Who knows? This man is standing before you whole because Jesus has worked through us. He doesn't stop there. He points them back to their scriptures in Psalm 118, showing again that Jesus is the Messiah. Psalm 118, 22 and 23 says this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Fulfilled in Jesus. And He says that and they would have thought that when they heard Him say this. This is Jesus, or literally this one, but clarified in the ESV. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. That righteous king talked about in Psalm 118, is this Jesus, the Messiah, the one you crucified, but that's been raised from the grave. You are hearing the gospel and you have an opportunity to repent even now from this great weakness, wickedness that you have done. Well, just pause for a minute. What does it mean that Jesus is the cornerstone? A cornerstone was always in that construction day. It was the first stone laid during construction. And every other stone in the building was measured by the standard of that stone. Of the cornerstone. To ensure a proper fit. And so in calling Jesus the cornerstone, Paul, Peter here is explaining that those who want to... To form the stones of the household of God must be conformed into His image. And these leaders must embrace Jesus as the most important stone, as the Messiah, as the one into whose image they must be conformed if they are be forgiven. They're in a sinful standing. And it's almost like, notice how Peter has turned the tables on this assembly. They're supposed to be on trial. But they're putting them on trial. Notice the boldness that God promised is there with Peter. I mean his neck is on the line, but you know, the Spirit is filling him and he's being faithful to tell them. Jesus, the cornerstone. And listen, he gets even more specific. I mean, he didn't he didn't shut up. In verse 12, and, and, and culture doesn't like this. And, and I don't know, everybody in here may not be trusting Christ. You may not like this. But this is the truth, and this is not just talking about healing, but using that word as a picture of and to talk about spiritual salvation. In verse 12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men. Under heaven, among men. On the, all of the earth. Literally, what He's talking about. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, has seated Him at His right hand. He is the cornerstone, the Messiah, the one to whom you will answer. And He is the only one through whom we can be saved. Implication, repent, And believe the good news. Bold as a lion. And notice the exclusive gospel. And this is the gospel that our culture hates. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is God's only Son. The only one crucified for our sins. The only one who has died for our sins and been buried and has been raised from the grave, reigning, returning someday. There is salvation nowhere else but in Jesus. And I love you enough to make that plain. You may not like that, but you will, you're will. you responsible. you've never heard it before, you've heard it this morning. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the Savior. If you will be saved, it will be through Him. If you will not, you will not be saved. You catch that boldness? Think of standing before the Supreme Court. All eyes on you, all cameras on you. Oh, God, that we had that opportunity and that faithfulness to put them on trial, put unbelievers on trial for not following Christ. But he says Jesus is the Messiah and He's the only one. There is salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven among men. No other name by which we must be saved. What does it mean to be saved? needs to be forgiven of our sins. Be reconciled to God. Be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In union with Christ. Be declared righteous by God. We are God's children through faith in Christ. And even that faith is a gift of God. We love Him because He first loved us. But if you will believe in, and not just intellectually, if you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will save you. He's at work in you. I mean, if you are uncomfortable with this, maybe sensing God working in you, don't resist the gospel. Don't resist the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what we're going to see these men do to their own detriment. But one more verse about the the exclusivity of Christ. If you won't believe me and you won't believe Peter, maybe you'll believe Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 6, I am a way and a truth and a life and one of the ways you can come to the Father is through me. Are you awake? I am the way. And that's there in the original. And the truth. And the life. Now look at this. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can be saved except through me. No one can be reconciled. No one can be made children of God. No one can be forgiven except through Jesus. You can't be forgiven any other way. You can't work to make up for it. You're just trying to clean mess with mess. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. But it's a free gift to you if you repent of your sins and trust Jesus. If you turn from sin to trusting Jesus. That is the opportunity that is right there before the Sanhedrin. The the prime, uh, the supreme court of the Jewish people. And what will they do with it? Well, look. It says in verse 13, now we have the verdict or the apostles warned. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, say that touched them. They're not afraid. That's a testimony of the truth before them. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They saw their boldness and they say, this uneducated and common means that they weren't trained up in the rabbinic school. They didn't go through the formal Jewish school. They went through a better one. They walked with Jesus for some three years, seeing His acts and how He interpreted those acts and spending all those intimate moments with Him and being taught and trained by Him both before His death and burial and resurrection and then for 40 days after His resurrection. I don't even know how they heard anything for just being in (laughs) awe. And seeing Him ascend. But the, these leaders, these guys have not gone through their rabbinic schools and yet they are bold as a lion. They are interpreting scripture. They are calling them to account. And they're astonished by that. Although they are unlettered men. They don't have a PhD or you know, a THM or even a bachelor's degree as far as the way we look at things they have Jesus and they have the gospel and they are being faithful with it. And these men are astonished. And it says that, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. And then in verse 14, but seeing, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say. I mean, exhibit A is right there. This guy who was born lame is standing right beside them in front of their face willing to say yes it's all true but they knew it i mean think about it. these all, all these people had seen this guy laying by i mean and it was obvious he was lame if you've never used your legs they don't look normal atrophy and curling and all sorts of things and now they're well they look normal so he's right there in front of them so they in verse 15 they command them to leave They say this, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they they took them out of the room so that they could talk to one another. They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, as is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. What are we going to do? I mean, the guy is standing right here. And listen, we all know Bubba. He's been laying in front of the temple for for years and and now he's leaping and shouting and praising God and standing right here willing to dance and show us that he's been healed. What are we going to do? I tell you what we'll do, guys. We've made a horrible mistake. Jesus really was the Messiah. So what we'll do is we'll we'll turn and we'll trust in this Jesus and we'll support these men as they go out and proclaim the gospel because we're wrong and everything around us proves it. So we'll embrace the truth. That's what we'll do. So call them back in. We'll give them some money and we'll be on board. They had all the proof they needed and more right in front of their faces. But they were dead in trespasses and sins. They were self-protecting, power-protecting, position-protecting. Had to be right. Look what they did. After recognizing the sign, and they want signs, and they have signs, they say this. And this. This is really a sad turn to me as I read this account. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. We are completely sold out to the fact that Jesus is not who He said He was, that He's not the Messiah. We are unwilling to repent of our sins and trust in Him. So we are going to hold fast to the lie that we're believing, reject the truth, and pay the price. Sadly, people do that with the Gospel. But in order that it may it, 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 This good news about Jesus. In order that it may spread no further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Yes, we know it's a notable sign. Yes, we've seen what happened. Yes, we made up a lie about Christ's resurrection. All of that is true. We're going to hold fast. To our unbelieving position. And we're going to command you to not speak about this anymore. Notice what they're forbidding. Speech. They didn't tell them not to go heal anybody else or not to go serve free water to anybody. Or, you know, go out and change culture. Be good, do good, make everybody happy. Fine. Just don't talk about Jesus. The problem is not the good deed, it's the interpretation of the good deed which shows that Jesus is Messiah. Peter and John say, "Well, okay, we tried. We got to submit to government. God tells us to." So we'll just shut up about all this gospel of Jesus stuff. No, you never follow the government when the government commands you to sin. That's when civil disobedience is not only right, it's commanded. Look what they say. Peter and John answering to the Supreme Court of their day say, listen, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. How catch that. Are we going to listen to you rather than to God? What you're telling us is in opposition to God. Who are we supposed to listen to? Implication, won't be you. Knock yourself out, big boy. <laughs> because we are following Christ. We are not going to listen. He's basically saying, listen, we're not going to listen to you rather than God. You judge whether or not that's right. For we cannot help us speak of what we have seen and heard. Eyewitnesses to the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ. Couldn't help because of the power given them by the Holy Spirit. But talk about that. God witnessing through them through signs and wonders. And talks about that all over the Bible. The signs of an apostle. Not everybody's running around doing miracles, but through the hands, read Acts, you'll see it, through the hands of the apostles. And interpreting those acts so that the gospel goes forth. And look at they threaten them more. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. These guys are, wet your fingers, stick it in the air. They're not going to, you know, they're afraid of the people too. It says, because of the people, for all were praising God. For what had happened. So notice this. Man healed. People praising God. Lots of people coming to faith. Jesus succeeding. Gospel going forth building His church. Unbelievers. Recalcitrant. Opposed to the gospel. Have every evidence before them that they need. Rejecting the truth. That's what the sinful, unbelieving heart does with the truth of the gospel. Until the Spirit of God through the gospel turns on the lights. Notice what Peter didn't try to do. He didn't try to do any proving or give any evidences. He simply gave them the gospel and knew that that was the power of God for salvation. I'm not saying don't answer questions. But we spend so much time trying to answer questions sometimes, we never get around to the gospel. They don't need my knucklehead opinions as nearly as much as they need. The power of God for salvation, which is the gospel. This finishes this way. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He'd been around a long time. Everybody knew him and knew his situation. An amazing miracle pointing to the truth of Jesus Christ. And they brush it aside. Threats and rejoicing. And we'll see how the apostles in the church respond to this next time because they pray. They don't assume. They pray for boldness and they have more boldness and the gospel keeps going forward. I want to stop right there and just point out a couple of things. Hardness of heart is all of mankind's problem which is illustrated by the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4. Paul says that before we came to faith in Christ in Ephesians two one, that we were Dead in trespasses and sins. We were born in sin. Unresponsive to God. Not loving God. What is loving God? It's not a feeling. It's obeying Him. We're born disobeying God. Living for self. Unwilling to hear the gospel. We'll be religious. Some of us will. There's unbelieving religious people. The devil loves to create those. But hardness of heart, lack of proof, deadness in trespasses and sins. Not lack of proof. Deadness in trespasses and sins is our problem. Stony heart that we're born with. New covenant gives us a new heart. It happens through the gospel. But listen to me. Please embrace this. I'm not saying don't give people you know, proofs that things are true. I'm just telling you they won't believe them. Because they're sold out to the opposing opinion until the Spirit turns on the lights. Lack of proof is not the problem. Think about Lazarus. So Jesus raises Lazarus. And Jesus' opponents who wanted to kill him, instead of seeing that amazing sign that was witnessed and repenting, now they want to kill Lazarus too. Lack of proof is not the problem. I mean, you hear people say, well, if God appeared right here, then I'd believe in Him. No, you'd kill Him. That's what we did with Jesus. (coughs) Lack of proof is not the problem. There's plenty of proof. You know that Romans says that God is revealed so clearly in creation that men are without excuse. Conscience, creation, you're part of creation. God is so clearly revealed that you'll be held without excuse. You don't need more proof. And yet you have the resurrection. Hardness of heart is the problem. Lack of proof is not the problem. It's a heart problem because what the reason people don't come to Christ. And Peter and John didn't fail. They were successful because they shared the truth of the gospel with the, with the Supreme Court of their day. But heart is the problem. Jesus said it, if you won't believe me. John 3, 19-20, look at this. And this is the judgment. The light, that's Jesus. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone, look at this, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Or you could say will not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. That's Jesus talking about the problem we encounter. When we go out with the gospel, we tell people that the light of the world has come, which is Jesus. But apart from the Spirit's power attending that proclamation of the gospel so that that heart is changed, it bounces right off just like what's happened in Acts 4 and it tests us to see if we really want to live for the glory of God or for what people think about us. Jesus said, I want to read it again, and I want you to embrace this and go back and look at it. Jesus is telling us the difficulty we will face after John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Gospel. He's given us the gospel, and he's telling us what to know and expect, and we go out and prove through the apostles, yes to them first. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but you could, but, and people love darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. Everyone, notice that, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and will not come to the light lest his works be exposed. I mean, I remember that as an unbeliever. Thinking, you know, I'll have time for this salvation stuff, this Jesus stuff when I'm old right now. I love the way I'm living. I'm not willing to embrace that. By God's grace, He didn't leave me there. But there wasn't one thing you could have done to talk me into believing in Jesus. But He blessed the Gospel. Same with you if you're trusting in Jesus. Jesus says it's a heart problem. What people need is a new heart so that they embrace the truth. Regeneration comes before faith. Regeneration comes through the preaching of the Gospel so that God by His Spirit grants life and then the signs of life are repentance and faith. God is at work producing faith in the heart through the gospel, saving His people. And Jesus says the reason people don't come to the light is because they hate it, because they love their sin. That's basically what those two verses are saying. These men that Peter was standing before, these men that he was being held accountable by and answering to, he put on trial with the gospel knowing this very fact that he's... Preaching to dead men that God must take the gospel and give them life. And we know within the Jewish leadership, a number of them did end up coming to faith. Not the, not the, not the top ones. So it's not just about being good and doing good. Listen, the devil doesn't care. Yes, I believe in a literal devil, he's real. When you do with Jesus casting out demons during His ministry? And Jesus talks about the father of lies and things like that. He doesn't care how much social so good we do. He doesn't care if we build hospitals and clinics and food pantries. Leaders even didn't tell. I'm not saying don't do those things. And I'm saying that's not the offense. The devil loves to build clean, fun cities with big, nice churches where Christ is not preached. He loves to create moral religious people who reject Jesus Christ. See, we think the devil's all about you know, you see, the, the darkness and the seances and the, you know, the black clothes and the human sacrifice. And that's his sleight of hand. Look over there. That's what I'm about. But you know what the New Testament says? He masquerades as an angel of light. He's a deceiver. He majors. On producing Christless religion, Christless community service, Christless friendship, Christless words. What he hates above everything else is the gospel. Not whether or not you get a car or a boyfriend. His opposition is to the gospel. To allegiance to God. And he wants to stop and pervert the gospel at all costs. There are many, many perversions of the gospel and heresies. Oh, I don't know how much to say. You've seen one of them this week, talking about unhitching the gospel from the Old Testament. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll let you figure it out. But read Kevin DeYoung on that and realize somebody's lost their marbles. Our major battle is to speak the gospel. Isn't that where you find your major battle? You want to live for Christ? Is to speak the gospel. You know, I really don't have that much of a battle to go cut my neighbor's grass or take them a plate of cookies or 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 help them paint their house or or you know I really don't find that big of an upheaval about that. But the struggle is to begin to talk to them about Jesus. That's where the spiritual warfare is. But if we believe the gospel and we believe the fact that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we pray like we'll see next week, into that boldness we'll see God use us to step outside of our comfort zones and talk to people about Jesus. But that's where the battle is. Not the changing the culture of being good. And again, I'm not saying don't do any of that. But please don't do only that. Don't go paint a widow's house and never talk to her about Jesus. You know, talk to Jesus about Jesus with your friends. Talk to them with, about Jesus with people you don't even know. You say, well, no, i got to build a relationship first. Well, I don't think there's much of a relationship going on here. where they pre- Preach, teach, share the gospel with your children, with your family. Hardest place, right? Outside of that. Neighbors, city, church members. We need to encourage one another with the gospel. But that is our major battle. But I want to encourage you this morning even though our culture hates this exclusive gospel if you if you go out and proclaim Jesus as a way one of many ways it's okay that's good for you not very many people are going to get offended at you you know why that's not the gospel But if you go out sharing the truth that Christ is the only way and He has dealt with our sins, that we come to faith in Him, we find forgiveness and reconciliation to God and that He is the only one through whom we can find it, that's when you start having the wrestle and that's when you start having the offense. Look at these men whom God has chosen. Common men. It even says it here. Not special men. Jesus trained up and used and even had them before the Supreme Court to testify to His grace. You, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the same holy spirit that they had. You have the same gospel that they had. And he through prayer grants the boldness that they had. We'll talk more about that next week. But it's a simple gospel. Let it set you free. You don't have to be able to answer everybody's questions. When they ask you a question you don't know, you say I don't know. But let me Take it, turn it back to where they're uncomfortable, which is the gospel. What people try to get away with all these smokescreen questions. Be, you know, follow the example set by the apostles here to drill right in on Jesus. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So as we go out and witness spiritual death, that's what we encounter. And now go out and preach in a graveyard. That's basically what we're doing. And if God's not involved, that's the result we'll get. But the gospel is the power of God through, for salvation, so that the Spirit takes that gospel that you share and sometimes plants seeds that won't grow and mature for a while. I mean, sometimes it will produce rejection, but it also sometimes it brings people to faith. Not through your intellect, but through the gospel message. Major on Jesus. See the major thing we encounter is not spiritual, you know. It is, you know, it's not spiritual ignorance. It's heart problem. The lost people you encounter to when you're trying to witness. Listen to this. It's the opposite problem, and I said it up front. The illustration of the man who thought we he was dead, but he was alive. The people you witness to are going to have the opposite problem. They think they're alive, but they're dead. And you don't have to tell them that. You just need to know that. So that you're not surprised when they reject the gospel, you know, but don't be surprised either when God works through it to save them and bring life and light and salvation in Jesus. What they need is the antidote to spiritual death, and that's the gospel, and the gospel has to be spoken. This is what Peter gave the council. He didn't argue with them about the genuineness of the healing, but authoritatively proclaimed the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, may we go and do likewise. I pray that God will shake us in a good way with His grace. So that we become more concerned about His glory and the good of those around us. So that we become more and more faithful with the good news of Jesus Christ. So that we see their pitiful condition. We believe that they're heading to hell without Christ. And we're willing to step outside of our comfort zone to share with them the only news that can save them. The good news. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you go and do likewise. Salvation doesn't depend on you. Be set free. But on God. But it doesn't happen without the gospel either. So go and give them. The antidote to spiritual death. Go and give them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who may even be among us this morning that are resisting You, who don't know You, who hide behind questions and smoke screens and are unwilling to face the fact that we are sinful and lost without You. That you give us the free gift of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. I pray for those people that are either here this morning or listening over the internet. That they would come to faith in Jesus by the work of you applying the gospel to their hearts. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead the third day proving it's all true. He ascended into heaven and he is coming back someday. Oh, what a day. It will be. Lord, save souls. And for those of us who know you, I I pray, Lord. In one sense, I pray that we didn't enjoy this message. But that we'll be concerned, convicted, motivated, pushed by your spirit, empowered by your spirit, made bold by your spirit. To get back to the basics and to be sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with those all around us. Some of us are more gifted than others, and may we help one another. May we encourage one another. May we not think that someone's salvation depends upon our intelligence or ability to answer questions or wisdom, but may we know that the power of God is this, for salvation is the gospel. And may our actions prove that we know that. Forgive us for, for how we've, Lord, made... Comfort a priority and ourselves a priority and just walked in the fear of man. Care more about what people think about us than where people will spend eternity. May our primary motivation be Your glory and love of You and the good of our neighbor and love of them. And may we love one another the way Christ has loved us and encourage one another as we seek feebly and weakly To be witnesses for you. Thank you that what we have before us in this account is a record of you taking common men. Unlettered men. Not the top of the society. Not the top of the religious order. Not the leaders. But common people. And in your church at this time are common people. Disciples of you. Men, women, boys and girls. That you had saved. And that you used to spread. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, make us disciples that make disciples. And enjoy it. Because we love you. We love neighbors. We love one another. Because Christ is all. To live is Christ and to die is gain. May we live in a growing fulfillment of that verse as it is our motto here. Um, Help us, Lord. We've gotten comfortable. Shake us and help us to get back on mission for you. I confess that for me. I confess that for your church. And some of our people are, are, are better than others. Help them to help us to be better witnesses for you. Lord, we praise you this morning and thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that we can confess our sins and you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we have the same Holy Spirit, that you fill us with the Spirit and boldness and you will use us for your glory. Help us, Father. We cry out to you and we trust you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.